We're back. Welcome in to the best podcast available. It is Gibbs. It is Gribs. It is Shook. And it is training camp. We were here in the spring. We did a little draft talk for about two and a half months. We got through it. And then they wanted to bring us back. And so we're back for training camp. We go to training camp as the BPA. And we're going to be a lot busier. Like we spread them out a little bit in, in the draft season, but there's actually going to be stuff to talk about every day. I mean, I'll be honest, Gibbs, we were we were reaching on content by the end of best podcast available draft version. <laughs> like were. it was it, it was tough. I mean, it wasn't a, of all years to start a draft podcast in Cleveland. It was not the year. Correct. It, it was uh, actually, I believe it was right after our first episode, maybe the first couple episodes. Yeah, we got through the combine. Yeah, no, no we got through the combine. And we were still kind of like, okay, well, Even we're not picking tough, in the like, top 10. Yeah. We got to figure it out. And then we traded for Odell. And then we had to figure out what the heck we were going to talk about for a good six, seven weeks. Yeah, but the brand is strong. And that's why the name is staying. The suits have told us, bring back the best uh, podcast available. I said, my, my comparison I keep making, we are basically the same thing as ESPN 30 for 30. Even when they came to an end, they had to still use 30 for 30, even though it didn't make direct even correlation like 60 episodes right now. so we're sticking with best podcast plus like even though it's a play on a draft term it's also truth we yes. are the best podcast available yes i like to think we are yeah. we're gonna I like be, to think we're putting out a good thing for the people and we're gonna be very available over the next month <laughs> we are this is the first of 25 episodes we're gonna force feed you the best podcast you can't available. hide from us no you it's cannot not hide from us we are literally going to come to you every day to recap the day that was out in Berea, Ohio, Indianapolis, Indiana, uh, all over the place, downtown Cleveland, Ohio. You know, we'll have a podcast after every training camp practice. We'll have a podcast after the Orange and Brown scrimmage. Uh, a number of things that we'll keep you posted on national guests, players, coaches. Front office people, Jim Donovan, Nathan Zagura will join us. We'll have a little fun. I'll come up with some more stupid games. And hey, they're not stupid. We'll do a training camp podcast every day. It'll be out late day unless we practice late in the afternoon, in which case, you know, we'll keep you posted when it comes out. But our goal is to put it out uh, every day for your drive home or for your drive into work uh, the following morning. You, so. can, you can count on listening to our soothing voices tell you about the latest uh, from all things Cleveland Browns, because we know that not everybody's going to be able to make it here, but we'll be here, and we'll be here to relay the information to you. You know, speaking of that, practices obviously are sold out. Yes. Orange and Brown scrimmage, plenty of good seats available. $5, all the proceeds benefit the Cleveland Browns Foundation and get the school campaign to encourage school attendance so kids can succeed. Saturday, August 3rd, 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. For those of you that didn't get training camp tickets, good news. There's a building down on the lakefront that's got about 60,000 seats available for yeah. this. And it's going to be a good show. I mean, I think that it's it's going to be more maybe of a practice feel, but it's still going to be kind of a, a scrimmage out there. And it's the first time you get to see Odell Beckham inside First Energy Stadium. Going to be pretty amazing, oh, yeah. to say the least. Very well, exciting. we are just hours away from being able to see Odell Beckham on the practice field in full gear as a member of the Cleveland Browns and the 2019 Cleveland Browns. So uh, as we get ready to start 
this 2019 campaign, guys. Uh, what are your emotions? What are you feeling? And what do you what do you think of this training camp to be here? You know, I, as much as I love the summer and the vacation that we get and the time we get to spend away from this facility, it's since I've been here easily the most excitement, anticipation that has ever been for a Browns training camp in the last five or six years. And really, you got to go back maybe 20, 30 years to when it reached this kind of anticipation. And I just think it's going to – you always have a lot of national people here. Even when this team was 0-16, you still get a, a good amount of national people dropping in, uh, largely because of the Hall of Fame game. People stop here on their way to the Hall of Fame game. But this is going to be a different beast. And I think with that comes a lot of exposure – and it's also going to bring about a lot of scrutiny that I think people are going to have to get used to. But ultimately, what is going to come of this training camp is it's going to be different from the previous years in that we're not going to be spending a ton of time talking about these roster spots that are available because there's not many available. I mean, we're just going to be analyzing what the really good players are doing out there and then getting more and more excited for regular season. So it's going to be a hyper-focused training camp, but it's going to be almost like there's less focus on the actual on-field happenings as people fight for roster spots because the, the, there just aren't many battles right now. And, and I think the battles that are there are going to yield a reward, a, a quality player, no matter who it is. Whereas in years past, we might have been hoping, fingers crossed, that maybe someone's going to rise up and surprise us. Now we don't need to bank on that, which I think is going to be very good. But I also think it's going to be intense. You know, this is Freddie Kitchen's first training camp, and I don't think he's uh, he's going to take it light on these guys because, you know, as they emphasized in the letter that went out to season ticket holders yesterday, uh, they're forged in these camps. You know, they, this is when they're made both as players and as a team, and uh, the work toward that starts this week. Freddie Kitchens does become the 17th full-time coach in Cleveland Browns history. No pressure, but you arguably have the best roster since the team was here in the mid-90s. I think one would have to argue, make the argument. And, no, I, think and it's better. I, I think it's on paper there's more talent. Because I think that 94 team, that was a defensive identity team. Yes. Mm-hmm. It had some Pro Bowl players on it, but the star power wasn't on the level that – this is right now and even the team in 2008 coming off of the 07 10 and 6 season didn't really have a quarterback didn't didn't have a I mean it did but the quarterback that it had proved himself to be more yeah. of, of well, an you average have, player than you, you struggle with the confidence right because of what had happened at the last couple games of the season exactly and then you also looked at that team, which was more veteran-laden, which had kind of benefited from a softer schedule and, and was guys that were kind of getting that last good year out of their career before they came down. And this is the exact opposite. You have a very young and talented team. You have a first-time head coach who has a rapport established with a young and very talented quarterback. And you added more pieces around him for, for him to work with. So I think there's only room for optimism here. How much pressure is on Freddie Kitchens? I mean, no more or no less than any other head coach, I think, around the the NFL. I just think he's going to be, as I've brought up a lot of times over the last couple months, he is the target of maybe the national media in terms of what is the the make-or-break hinge point on this team. And it it would seem like a daunting task for a first-year head coach to inherit a roster like this with all the personalities and all the expectations. But I think we all agree that he doesn't seem uh, even – a little worried about his ability to handle this job and I think all of us agree that he seems perfectly suited for the job so he's less that's less of a concern I think locally it's just going to be a big national storyline that's not going to go away until 
you play some games. I think it's strange because you know he is a first time head coach, but you know, like Gribble said, it's, there's there's not really a sense of I'm in over my head or I don't know what I'm doing here at all because he does have a lot of experience as an assistant under many different head coaches in many different situations. And I think that that experience, while he hasn't been at the top, in, in, you know, in in the driver's seat before, I think that uh, it definitely has benefited him in this off season and in preparation for all of this. And I think he's also got a good staff around him who's really helped him with this transition. And and they seem, you know, comfortable, but also very not anxious, but just ready to go. So much made of can he handle the personalities? Is it a story that maybe isn't a story? Yeah, I think it's not a story. I mean, I get, I get why it is a story, sure. but I, I'm, it's just not a concern for me because I think he's already shown an ability. That, first off, his relationship with the quarterback is the most important, and clearly those two get along very well. Him and Baker Mayfield are kind of cut from the same need. cloth. I mean, that's, that's the most important one that he has to forge, especially with his role as a play caller uh, for this offense. And I think a lot of the other stuff, it's a, a coach's role to kind of help when there's situations arise, but – this is one of those situations where a locker room can kind of police itself with those personalities. This is an older roster compared to years past, and you have some legitimate leaders on this team that can manage those personalities That so even when there's issues, it doesn't even reach the level of the head coach. The locker room can kind of order that around, where in previous years we've had some some not, not the best guys and there wasn't the, the internal policing because you, you had a younger team. I think people have seen that here, and I think people also – kind of hold what had happened to Odell in New York against the Browns unfairly um, because, you know, he's a passionate player and, and might have, you know, had some explosions on the sideline here or there. But even then, his teammates there, for the most part, loved him. And I, and I don't think that's going to be an issue. But I think that people are often referring to Odell when they talk about all the personalities and because he's the largest personality of all of them. But I, I don't think it's going to be an issue. I think it's also a non-story. And I think it'll go away fairly quickly. We'll have to hear about it for all of training camp because we're going to have to you know, hear other people talk about this team as they make their stops here and as they become a topic of discussion you know, day in and day out through this entire process. But I think once we get to the regular season and you get about a month in, it'll finally go away, hopefully. So much is made of the embarrassment of riches on the offensive side of the football. It's been talked about for the last five months. But defensively, uh, and you started to hear Freddie chirp about it a little bit during minicamp and some of the other coaches on the offensive side of the football and even the defensive side of the football. There's a lot of talent on that defensive side of the football that we haven't really gotten a chance to see because the pads weren't allowed to be on and you weren't allowed to hit and you weren't allowed to tackle. And I think it's going to be pretty exciting to see how that plays out as a storyline here. Yeah, and it's interesting because I think if you look at the matchups in camp, you almost like that the defensive line versus the offensive line is going to be a good one, and I almost give the advantage to the defense right now because if you have four proven really good players on that defensive line, and I think that the acquisition of Olivier Vernon was obviously so overshadowed by Odell Beckham, understandably, but that's a huge addition for this defense that will, in theory – take Miles Garrett's game to another level even when it was set to go to another level no matter who is on that side because you would think a third year for a player like him this is when it really starts to click so it's it's defensive line you're in great shape I think defensive backfield you're in fantastic shape it's the middle and linebackers where those are the question marks right now and I think that that's that's maybe what's giving people cause for concern because it's it's harder on offense to identify an area of where you have that many question marks but 
defensively, this team's in really good shape. It's just a matter of are you going to get part one of last season's defense where the turnovers were getting forced like crazy, or is it part two where the defense was maybe it was all right, but there were some, some games where there were some issues out there? I also think that this is going to be a nasty group. And I say that when I say that, I mean the level of competition in these practices are going to be higher. It's something that Freddie has emphasized. And I also think that just the natural competitor in all of these guys is going to come out fairly quickly because these are guys who are very good football players and they do not take uh, defeat or failure or any type of setback lightly. And I think when you match up those guys on both sides of the ball, Inevitably, you're gonna eat some some heads are gonna bang and, and and some pads are gonna crack and eventually you might get a push and shove here once in a while. It happens every camp everywhere, and uh, and I think it's just gonna be a really impassioned group and 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 it'll make them better as a team as long as they can stay healthy. And I think it'll also help us figure out, of course, you know who's gonna start at the right guard position, but also who is gonna be the key depth players behind that starting front four because that's also gonna be very important as we go into the season. And, and I think we'll, we'll figure out who those guys are because of the level of the play that I'm anticipating in this camp. Position battles you're most looking forward to seeing, if I could get one from each one of you. I'll go first because uh, the most exciting one to me is what, who starts at cornerback opposite Denzel Ward. I think that's the, that's the one that we'll be able to really, from an outsider's view, without because I, I just can't, as much as I've watched football, I can't go out there and tell you exactly who's doing the best at right guard on every on a given practice. I can see what's happening at defensive back. I can see what's happening in one-on-ones. I, I could see just the confidence that a player is playing with. We saw it right away last year with Terrence Mitchell. Like it was a few days in a camp. You're like, this guy is playing really well. And he made his move up very quickly. We saw Greedy Williams get work with the ones uh, during the spring. I don't know how it will start at training camp. But I don't think Terrence Mitchell is out of it by any means. And I think both of those guys are competing. And I do like the upside. If Greedy Williams can simply prove that he is worthy of being a top four corner on this team, that gives you so many more options on what you can do in moving guys around. You could potentially see Denzel Ward move into the slot. You could just do so many different things if you have a proven player like Greedy Williams ready to tackle one of those positions. Yeah, and, and that's going to be really interesting to see because because of the capabilities uh, of the defense if he were to win that position, like you said. But I have to, I have to go to the, the offensive line but just because it's so You're important. our offensive line and defensive line guru. It's just an important position because, you know, you have to protect your, protect your quarterback. And, and while we put a lot of emphasis and pay these guys more money on the outsides of tackles because you're dealing with edge rushers and everything else, Shores' path to the quarterback is right up the middle. And we have a proven center here. In J.C. Treader, we have a proven left guard in Joel Batonio. We do not have that at right guard. And as far as I'm concerned, unless you can say that about all three of those positions, you then you can't be 100% confident in that group until you find one who is. And none of them are proven, but one of them can go win the job and attempt to prove himself both in camp preseason and the regular season. But that all begins this week once we get those pads on because you can work on footwork, you can work on hand placement, but you can't actually really – determine who's got to lead in, in a battle for an offensive line position until you put those pads on because it's just a matter of contact, maintaining your base, your balance, uh, sustaining your block, driving, and also having the toughness to do that over and over and over and over again through all of these practices and the ability to avoid you know injury or getting in, into a tough situation where that might happen. So you don't know that until the contact hits full go. I mean, more, more on the offensive and defensive lines than any other position on the field. So that's what I'm most looking forward to and, and happy that training camp is finally going to be here because there are some good prospects and there might be a surprise or two there, and I can't wait to see them figure it out. I don't think there's any question. I think some of the other battles, 
obviously, a defensive back, depending on what shakes out with that battle between Greedy and uh, Money Mitch. And also the wide receiver room. There's a lot of wide receivers, and there's some really talented young guys that got a lot of snaps in yep. minicamp that really maybe bear watching here these first few weeks. Yeah, I'd say there's every position group, there's like a battle for a couple spots, like at the back end, and they're and they're almost pretty wide open. I would say running back is not as wide open. That room looks pretty solid uh, from, from the beginning to the end. Yeah, wide receiver, you got a bunch of guys, and I think it uh, mostly is going to come down to special teams because yep. you're not going to want, uh, outside of Callaway as a return guy, you don't really want those top four guys out there doing too much on special teams. Correct. So I think special teams is going to play a huge role in who emerges among Damian Ratley, Derek Woolies, who was very good on special teams last year, uh, Ishmael Hyman, Jalen Strong, uh, a bunch of guys who can certainly, if they don't make it here, could, could land somewhere else's waiver claims. Uh, down the line, I think the final spot in the tight end room is up for grabs. Uh, obviously, those few, last few spots in the offensive line room. It's really all these position battles outside of those two that we identified at, for starting jobs. It, it's all the back end ones that we'll be monitoring uh, and and kind of hand wringing over as we kind of predict our fifty three man rosters here. Although I am curious to see what happens at the safety position because you know Jermaine Whitehead was the talk of mini camp and, and somebody that we didn't expect to have to talk about. And he got a lot of time with the ones. He's gonna, he would likely be playing opposite Demarius Randall. Do they go to a three safety set? Where does Morgan Burnett fit in? Where does Eric Murray fit in? That that's going to be really intriguing. Yeah, I think that there are plenty of positions to watch. But Gribbs, you mentioned it. I think you said it best. It's on the back end. We're yeah. not talking necessarily starters. You know, maybe one or two starting spots. Yeah, and everything else you're you're talking uh, the the backup role. Uh, is there an under-the-radar player that each one of you has that maybe we should be watching, fans should be watching here these uh, these first few weeks that could, that could make an impact, that could make us stop and reevaluate a position? I'm a big fan of Dontrell Hilliard at running back, and I also think he carries potential to win the return man job. And that's one that we also really need to figure out because that's going to help us figure out how many players are kept at certain positions. Um, I, I know that from what I saw from him in minicamp and, and especially OTAs, just the way he catches the ball out of the backfield, even when he's blanketed by a defender, I think he had a really great offseason. Um, he could play a key role with uh, Kareem Hunt missing the first eight games and, and for depth and also for special teams. So uh, I think he's one of those guys who, if fans get a good look at him this year you know, and, and during this camp, I think they'll uh, start to like him a lot. I'll stay on offense, and I'll go with Pharaoh Brown at tight end. I think he's got a legitimate shot to make that group, and I think he's he's someone where you always keep your eye on a player who has been on the roster for a while, even though he hasn't really played much and hung around and has been in the building now for close to a year. I, I, he's gotten bigger. He's He can be a big target uh, in the end zone, and I think he can help on special teams. So I think he's going to be in a competition in that group with the likes of an Orson Charles, a Seth DeValve. It's, it's going to be about what those guys can do behind it, Njoku and Harris. Uh, and and F- Brown's size, if you can put him out there with a Njoku and with some uh, some other guys, you can get really big in the red zone and really become dangerous. So he's someone I'll, I'll keep an eye on. Another name I'll just throw out there, and this is uh, totally off the radar, on defense at corner for one of the last spots at corner, uh, Lindsey Pipkins. I saw him, we saw him a bunch with the second team defense in, in mini camp. He's another guy that's just kind of been on this roster for a, a little bit of time now. Uh, someone that really could be the surprise last defensive back, maybe along the lines of like a Denzel Rice from last year who 
made it as a surprise basically and hung around for a few weeks before moving on. So that's someone just to keep on your radar. I'm not saying he's going to make the team, but someone who is a name that no one talks about who I think has a chance. Could uh, call it the Josh get, Lenz Award. Yeah, who has a, who has a, who has a chance at a, at a roster spot who who is not just a not a popular name. Lenzi's story is actually kind of interesting too because he was he was either with the Packers or the Colts. I want to say he was the Packers last year and got traded early in the season and, and ended up um, you know on that. I think he got traded to the Colts and then eventually was on the waiver wire and ended up here. But it's clear that somebody sees something in this player. Otherwise, why else would you go try to acquire someone sure. at that point in the season? I think it was like late August, early September to make such a move. Um, and, and even though you let him go, eventually he landed here. I mean, the kid's got some talent that multiple people are seeing. So maybe this is the time he gets a shot to uh, fit in with the defense and make a roster. Taking a look at your forecast for the week. Thursday, 83 and sunny. Friday, 87 and sunny. Saturday, 88 and sunny. Sunday, 90 and sunny. Going to get hot. It's going to get sticky. Do you see They're going to be really happy that the collective bargaining agreement only limits to one practice a day and not two a days. Helps that's earlier. I think that'll that that'll that's key. Okay, so do we like, do we not like? From a selfish standpoint, I love it. Yeah. It helps make your day normal. You're not waiting around for, for practice at 3 o'clock. I mean, clearly, training camp sold out. People have found out ways to get out of work. Or, yeah, you know, go into work late. Right. I mean, I think that – Long lunch break. It, it didn't – maybe maybe in, in one of our lean years, the early practice time would have been a tough selling fans. You could put these practices at midnight. I think people are going to find their way out there. I like it from a just it start your day and you're working from there. We'll be able, I think taping this podcast would have been a little trickier with the old format. A little bit. Uh, so I I personally like it. You can talk to every football coach. Everyone has like a right or wrong way to do it. It's almost like travel in the NFL. Some team some people swear by the two days out west. Others swear by the one one day. You know, it's like each coach has his own way of doing things. Freddie switching up the first time Browns have had morning practices since 2015. I'm a big fan, big fan because um, you, you, most of your practice is done before the sun is at its highest or hottest, which is around 2 p.m. And, you know, I, I think anybody who's ever gone through a two-a-day at any level can tell you that anything that's done by noon is a good thing. Even if it's a little steamy in the morning, it's still a good thing. Well, and I wonder last year, you can go back the last few years, I feel like there were a handful of practices last last couple of years that had to get moved indoors that would have happened outside had in they the been morning. in the morning. Yeah, I mean, so I think oh, yeah. that's with Cleveland's weather in the summer, you know, this is like the brief period of time that Cleveland mimics Florida a little bit where if you're going to get thunderstorms, it's usually in that three to five window. So I think you get a better chance of some of these, of all these practices happening outdoors. And that's more important for, for the fans to be out there and everything like that. That's, that's, that's the thing I like also. Do you think, I can't believe I'm about to bring this up, but do you think Hard Knocks is prepared some of the guys on this team for the media onslaught and the national scrutiny that's going to come with training camp. Yeah, and I think that it's just it's a it's a different generation too, where these guys live with cell phone cameras and everything like that in their lives to begin with. So I don't I just don't know if it's that big of a of, of a of a deal. Anyways, I think they'll be fine with it. I I, just, I, I I think last year Hard Knocks was the quietest staff of 150 I've ever seen in my life. They blended yes. in with everything. It, it was only if you came to one practice where they stood out to you. If you were here for more than one practice, you didn't even notice them. That's a good point. They, they're notorious for that. I just stood uh, about this far away. I can't even reach as close as I was 
from Odell, following him around a field full of 650-plus kids with a phone in his face like this, right? Continually walking with him down the sideline at this field today. He didn't, it, wasn't like, it was like I wasn't even there. Same thing about Jarvis a month ago. These guys are more than prepared for that kind of thing, and I honestly think that they're relieved that camp is here and excited because now we can stop talking about what's on paper and start putting it into action. Speaking of that, Baker Mayfield, what's the biggest thing he has to improve from year one to year two? Well, I mean, Ryan Lindley talked about when uh, Odell and Jarvis were not on the field during minicamp that it, it forced him to go through his progressions, which is always a good thing if you can learn to get to your second, third, and maybe even a fourth option in a play and still be able to release the ball on time and maybe under a little bit of pressure, but you're not getting sacked or whatever. Um, I think that can only bode well for him. So maybe it's that. Maybe it's um, on learning to get through the entire progression in a play or getting better at it. I don't think he's going to have to do that very much, but it's good that he's picking up that skill. So that's something he could work on. This, this falls along the lines of that. Is If you go back to last season and look at the games where he wasn't playing as well as he did in some of the other ones, it was the games like Denver, Baltimore, where you were facing these really good defenses. And in both of those games, he had success with some big plays. And it was it's almost the, the restraint of not trying to make the big play every pass. I think in that Denver game especially, it just seemed like he was pushing it downfield and it just wasn't happening. And then finally when they got a little momentum in the second half, he was making some shorter passes, quicker reads, things like that. And so it's really just trusting the offense, uh, working in the flow of the offense. I go back to his Falcons game last year, Week 10. It was a, a work of art. Like, that was his best performance, hands down, efficient, got everyone involved in the offense, took what the defense gave you, and, and made the most out of only 20 passes. And it was just – that's what you want out of Baker Mayfield every week. It was the games – seemingly the games where he had the most passing yards were maybe some of his worst games last year. So it's more of just taking what the defense gives you and be the efficient passer, not a guy that has to rack up 400 passing yards because I don't think you're going to have to do that uh, within this offense. Offensive balance usually bodes well as long as you're not balanced at 100 yards and 100 yards because then you're in trouble. But let's face it, no quarterback or anybody who's going to try to move the football or, or, or play any sport in which you're scoring points wants to take a small amount of, of gain. You want to go for the big play, so it's natural – but it's also, I think, a sign of how young he was and how he had experienced some success and he just wanted more of it, more of it, more of it. Sometimes you got to be okay with a three-yard completion because guess what? you got another down to work with. You're setting yourself up for more and more. saw that in the Denver game. Yeah, and, I, and like, like Gribble just said, you know, and I, I, think that, uh, I, I think that that's something that he could definitely do. He can definitely improve on. He'll, I think he will as he gets more reps. You know, it's, I think it's simply a matter of more field time. I think it's going to be interesting here for the next 30-plus days, about 34 days total to get us from day one of training camp to that dreaded fourth preseason game that somehow always ends up becoming a pretty big story for this football team in years past. You're looking at – you've got two home games. It's the first game. It's the fourth game. Your barometer is going to be your second your third game. That week that we go to Indy and we we practiced against them every day, and then we play them in a preseason game, I think is going to be a huge week to see where this team is. Two teams picked to win their division by most people. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's two two premier quarterbacks, two premier teams. I'm super pumped to see how this front four plays against their offensive – because their offensive line is really good. And it they play really well cohesively. 
And I would love to see with this front four because it's a great barometer to see how well they could play this season. And then you've got your dress rehearsal game in Tampa on that Friday night, uh, the third week in August. Uh, what needs to go right in these next 34 days? So when, then when this team takes the field on September 8th, they get off to a successful start. They need to be healthy, number one. Above all, they need to be healthy. They need to be in good shape. They need to be uh, with as little you know, bumps and bruises as possible. I think that's the biggest key because you know the talent you have on this team and, and the amount of practices that they're going to get together. They're going to get you know, to know each other. Odell talked about that today. He wants to get to know his teammates. He's got to get to know the offense and learn how to play with them. They'll figure that out, but they need to make it through healthy. Yeah, I, I was gonna say the health thing first up, but I'll I'll piggyback on that. And I just I I want to see the offense look better than it did minicamp. I mean, I think it looked they had some plays, but it clearly oh yeah there were some growing pains going on with the new system. And normally the offense is ahead of the defense at that time. Yeah, so it was. I I just want that's I think I'm confident it will get there, but you just didn't have your full basket of tricks at your disposal. Now you do, so make the most of this these next 30 days. Show us the offense that we expect to see and be in a good place when you go up against a Titans team that's they're pretty good on defense. They're they're a pretty good team, and I don't think people are giving them enough credit yeah, going into this opener. I mean, they're they're a pretty good team. A tough test to start the season uh, that a lot of people are just going to assume the Browns are going to go in and roll them. So uh, yeah. I'm just going to – it's you, you just want to see the growth in this offense, learning kind of a new system. Defense is learning a new system too. But it just seems like they're, it's a little bit simpler on the defense side of the ball than what the offense is going through. Yeah, let's not overlook the fact that the Titans were a Week 17 loss away from getting in the playoffs. I'm just saying. It's a good test. They, they are a good, good football team. And for those people that just chalk it up to an easy W, it is not an – the beginning part of this schedule is going to test this football team. And, and I'm, I'm anxious to see how we handle a little adversity if it comes our way. Yep. When it comes our way. Yep. I think they have the right coach that's, that's well-equipped to handle it, though. Yeah, no question about it. Any final thoughts, gentlemen, before we officially get ready for I, training camp 2019? I have none. I'm saving them for the next 24 podcasts. So let's save, save, save our material here. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to steal what my commencement speaker said when I graduated from Kent State. Wear sunscreen when you come out to camp. Mm. How'd that go for you? Uh, not, I didn't wear any today. And oh, I, you I'm, got a nice little farmer tan. Yeah, a little, little color down the forearms. Yeah, wear some sunscreen. <laughs> Yes, that that memo to everybody coming to training camp. Wear sunscreen. It's going to be hot. It's going to be sunny. We can't wait to see you all. And frankly, let's get it on. It's about yeah. time. It has been a long off season waiting for this to get going, and we could not be more excited. We'll be with you every training camp practice. We will recap the day, national perspective, players, coaches. The three of us, joined by Jim Donovan, Nathan Zagura, uh, a host of other people as we work our way through the 2019 training camp. You can get this podcast wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Go to clevelandbrowns.com to give us a listen. Anywhere else? Am I missing anything? I think once we start training camp, you'll be able to watch the first uh, part of this podcast on YouTube as well. Correct. That's right. They are going to put our mugs up on there. Yeah. Yes. FaceTime. So you can see for real what you How bad of a like. sunburn I get. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Look at, look at that little mark on your head. Uh, yeah. That's great. There we go. <laughs> for Nick Shook, for Andrew Gribble, I'm Jason Gibbs. This has been the best podcast available.